Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tierney, oh le grand pot pour Olivier Furlong, qu'est-ce qu'il lui a fait là Qu'est-ce qu'il lui fait Kieran Tierney Kieran Tierney, c'est quoi C'est quoi ça Il vient souhaiter une très bonne année aux supporters d'Arsenal Kieran Tierney, quel rush Magnifique This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gutterblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. You know what I discovered at the weekend? I heard about this amazing thing called Arsenal Football Club. That that apparently it's a... Doesn't ring any bells. ...group of people that get together and, and play football and people watch and follow from near and far. I've, I've that heard, sounds nice. Yeah, it does, Is it nice? It? I think so. <laughs> think so. I mean, I can't think of anything that could be wrong with it, but mm. I'm I'm interested to catch? give it a try. Yeah, there must be a catch. Sounds too good yeah, to be no. true, doesn't it? Well, let's. I mean, let's give it a whirl, Andrew. I, from what I understand, there is an opportunity for us to engage in this particular pastime, mm. commencing on Thursday, Thursday and running as far as May. Have you got any plans, particularly in that period? No. I mean, I was thinking of taking up, you know, some hobbies. But, you know, this this sounds like it might be better than any of the yeah, ones so I was thinking of anyway. That's I sure. would say allow this to fill every conceivable void in your life for the next several months. Right. Uh, and dramatically affect and influence your emotional state. Do you, sound, do you feel up for that? I reckon I could. I reckon I could. There's something missing, that is for sure. And this could very well fill that gap. You know the way we talk about um, a mid-season break? And they have talked yeah. about it for years and they do it in the Bundesliga and they do it in other leagues and everything else. And, you know, we always said, this would be great for the players to have a break. Wouldn't it be really good for them and, you know, for their injuries? We ask a lot of footballers these days, fuck footballers, get them back on that pitch and never have another break again. I, I, I'm feeling very itchy and antsy towards uh, football right now. <laughs> I'm missing it more than I thought I would. Sure. I mean, I guess had we still been in the FA Cup, we um, mm. we we might have uh, had a less slightly less of a break. But yeah, it is odd the winter break. It's sort of it sort of crept into the schedule without too much fanfare. Um, you know, it's something that people were so 
uh, agitated about in press conferences for years and years mm. and years. And now it has kind of appeared over the last couple of years in there. Um, and yet it doesn't seem to have merited that much discussion. I think it's undoubtedly a good thing for the players, but yeah. it does leave us scrabbling around a bit for entertainment for Fortnite also. <laughs> That's true. And I, I, I retract my fuck footballers comment from just a few <laughs> minutes ago. I, I was just feeling a little bit emotional about, you know, all, all the nothing that we've had to contend with over the uh, over the last couple of weeks. So how have you been filling the, uh, the nothingness yourself? Great question. I can't really think. Um, I went. I went fishing at the weekend. Uh, that, that in did you Norfolk. S- did you stand in water? Did you did you do the thing? No, where- I stood near water. There was yeah. a lot of debate about what am I allowed to do? Am I allowed on boats? No. Am I allowed on oh, piers? Yeah. Not really. You're not allowed on a pier. Things that move in water. It depends how solid the pier is. I can walk on a solid pier, but I, I guess I mean more like decking. Yeah, um, but I fished from the shore. Okay, and thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's be clear. I things with like hooks that blow in the wind mm. near faces and eyes. I shouldn't really be allowed to do that, but I survived it. All the fish survived it. It was a fairly humane operation. Um, you weren't fishing for food. Like some no, kind of wilderness purely man, for no? sport, purely purely to torment the fish, I guess. Right? No, I was eating well enough on shore. Um, so I always no, feel like that's, back. you know, look, I'm a meat eater and all that kind of stuff. But I always kind of feel like, well, I just fish and then I catch the fish and then I throw it back and it's fine. But the fish is going around going, fuck, my yeah. fucking mouth is killing me. Fuck's sake. Why didn't you oh, just yeah. do me in and put me out of my misery, you fuckers? And now you throw me back into the water. I can't even eat. Can't have any plankton or whatever the fuck it is fish eat. What do fish eat? Well, some, eat, some fish? fish eat other fish. Yeah, Bastard uh, cannibals. Some fish, it, it turns out, eat maggots or worms. I've learned this weekend. Right. Yeah. Um, basically, whatever you drop in the water for them. But yeah, I did sort of puzzle over that aspect of it i i did some like research around fish survival rates post catch um they're generally pretty good i have to say but you know the psychological trauma yeah must be significant yeah everyone calling you old oh look there's old hook mouth again look at him going around listening to can't even talk properly to all the yeah, other fish. What about the fishing where you stand in the water? You know, that kind of, it's very yeah, uh, bucolic looking. Yeah, you put on the giant, you know, wellies and, you know, overalls and what have you. And you stand there in the river, mm-hmm. sun glistening at your back. And you cast your line and you just stand That's, there. At one with- That would be nice. But bear in mind, I was in uh, Norfolk in early February. Mm. And essentially, there was a hurricane happening. I mean, it was incredibly cold and windy. Right. I think the actual temperature was about six degrees, but because of the wind blowing in from the ocean, it felt several. About, right. It felt about minus three. So cold as I was, I never thought. Do you know what would improve this? Submerging myself. Yeah. Um, but no, I did enjoy it. It was. It was a good. Uh, experience what have you been doing playing golf i imagine judging by the blog you wrote the other day yeah doing a bit of golf 
doing a bit of golf and uh, cooking food and things like that. So, yeah, nothing too exciting, unfortunately. But I'm uh, pledging to play more golf and, uh, you know, watch more of this football stuff and and everything else. I watched some films over the weekend, but I won't say I I, I won't spoil any for anyone because I've got some thoughts on the films, but... Nobody, okay. Nobody's here for my film reviews. We'll come back in that. a year when everyone's seen the film. Exactly. And I'll say, God, the way that film ended was really terrible or what have you. Um, but yeah. You'll say, I told you so. Told you did so. you watch any of the FA Cup action? I did not. No. I believe uh, your local um, my, club. My hometown club, yeah, Boreham Woods. Yeah. Wow. Into the fifth round. Wow. Fifth round. That's amazing, isn't it? It is kind of amazing. I mean, they're playing in the non-league, which is a bit of an outdated term, non-league, because, you know, they are a, a professional operation. Um, and it is a league. And it is a league. It's the National League. Um, but, you know, they're in the fifth tier, uh, sort of pushing for promotion playoff places. Yeah. But, yeah, they've beat uh, MK Dons, I think it was. Or was it AFC Wimbledon? Maybe it was AFC Wimbledon in the previous round. And then they went away to b- promotion chasing Bournemouth in the championship and won 1 0 yesterday. That is pretty impressive stuff, isn't it? It is. I mean, Bournemouth at one point in the game had um, Todd Cantwell on the field and who's the guy they signed from Celtic? I remember thinking there are three players on the pitch who I remember being linked with Arsenal. Right. One was Todd Cantwell, one was Freddie Woodman, the goalkeeper who they've just signed on loan from Newcastle. And one was Ryan Christie, who I think is the ex-Celtic oh, midfielder. yeah, we were linked with him at some point, I remember. Yeah, and yeah. I was thinking, oh, wow, <laughs> this is like the Arsenal uh, nearly 11 and they, uh, they lost to Boreham Woods. So, yeah, that was quite extraordinary. My sister and her husband went. They took my niece to her first ever football game. Um, yeah, hopefully she will... I don't know if she will remember it. She's only three, but if she does, it's a good one to remember. Well, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they might have set the expectations too high now. That's true. She's, I mean, Goodison she, Park away in the next round. Um, on, a, on a, I think, in a midweek fixture. The fifth round is midweek. That doesn't seem right to me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess she'll be in there um, at Goodison Park. She'll have to be now. She's a lucky totem. Yeah. Hang on. Is that... Late night for a three-year-old, but what can well, you do? Well, yeah, if they don't win, you know, she's going to set up her own um, her own YouTube channel, do some on the whistle, going crazy. Yeah, that's true. Bournemouth fan, uh, Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth Wood fan TV. Yeah, yeah. That'll be fun. I mean, I'm, ple- you know. Oh, there's I'm my door. She's had a positive experience. Oh, you better get the yeah, doorbell. Hang on. It's an excuse to have the doorbell music. It is. Hang on. Hang on. What was it, Andrew? What was it? It was the postman who was in the middle of eating a sandwich, which was quite weird. I opened the door and he went, sorry, I'm just uh, stuffing my face here. Uh, And then he gave me a package. Was it all greasy? No. sandwich? No, no, no. It It was a tightly wrapped package, which I believe 
is a dog bed, which I ordered off the internet some time ago. I see. And it's just arrived. You've grown tired of human beds. Exactly. <laughs> You've been eyeing up your own dog's beds, uh, you know, for so long. They, they look, look so, so comfy. Yeah, they look so comfy in there. Now, I got one of these dog beds that's, um, it sort of envelops the dog, if you know sure, what I mean. Sure. So. Yeah. Oh, is it one that they sort of sink into? Kind of, yeah. But it, it's, yeah, it's obviously got to be big for German Shepherds. Yeah, um, I've seen them. Yeah, I've seen them. So we'll they do see. look comfy. They do, they do. I'll I'll report back uh, as to comfort levels when I see either Archer or Lana in it later on. There may be, you know, some issues because I only got one of them. There are a number of dog beds around the house, but I only got one of these to see what it would be like. I may uh, have to get another one, but we'll see. They won't fight over it, I'm sure. We'll see. We'll see. Let's let's do this because we, you know, we have questions and we have questions that we normally do in part two of a show. But normally part one of a show is when we talk about, you know, the stuff that's happened. Games. Games and pre-games and previews and reviews and mm-hmm. transfers and all of that kind of Selling stuff. Selling players, not buying players. Yeah, letting players go for free, all of that kind of stuff. There hasn't been any of that. There's certainly no, been no more of it than I want to discuss. Or that hasn't been discussed at length already on on uh, all the various podcasts of late. So let's do a few questions throughout the, uh, throughout the show. Okay. And we'll start with this one from KB on Twitter, who is at MFWB17. And he says, how excited are you? It almost feels to me like the start of a new season in terms of anticipation. We've 17 games to go with a very likable, improving squad that most fans can get behind and a very clear goal in mind. Let's get it done, lads. I think he's talking to us about the question, not not Arsenal uh, winning games. I'm pretty sure. How excited am I? Uh, I definitely feel sort of re-energised, I guess, as we've kind of been alluding to in this pod about the resumption of football. I'm going to Wolves as a fan on Thursday. I'll mm. be in the away end. Um, not a great omen, that, historically, but... Uh, well, maybe someone will, to it. you know, clatter you over the head with an iron bar or something. That like could that. happen, actually. If you're, sat, if you're stood in the row behind me, just one big whack over the back of the head. Yeah. That should be enough to skip the three yeah. points. Um, I I am looking forward to it, but I, I have to be honest and say there's some trepidation on my side. You know, this is the sort, sort of more stressful half of the season, given how high the stakes become. You know, yeah. every point dropped at this point, I think feels like it carries more weight than one dropped yeah. in, say, October. Um and because the table is kind of semi-formulated at this point, the sort of jumping of places uh, or dropping of places brings with it a kind of emotional roller coaster that I am uh, bracing myself mm. for. H- how excited are you? I am. I'm. I'm kind of excited if we have everybody fit. You know what I mean? I, I share the trepidation. I think everybody does. You know, because we have uh, been through a a January where all the focus was on what we were going to do in the transfer market. We didn't do anything. So nobody's feeling like extra confident. You know what I mean? We haven't had that bit of extra confidence boost or the idea that when we start again, we're going to see a shiny new player in an Arsenal shirt. You know, someone who uh, might have added some depth or whatever to the forward positions. Nevertheless, 
you know, when I think about, I did a piece today on the blog about, you know, what we have and the players we have and how confident I feel in them. And I, you know, going through it felt confident with our goalkeepers, confident with our first choice defenders, uh, although slightly trepidatious about some of the backup options that we have, Mm -hmm. or maybe even lack of the backup options. Even in midfield, I think if Partey and Jacka stay fit, it's a decent partnership. It's, you know, um, one I think that we could improve on, but we can't really with what we've got at this moment in time. Um, I, I really like the collection of attacking midfielders and wide forwards that we have. Um, and I'm worried about striker, as I think everybody is. Um, you know, if we're looking for goals from our strikers, that that's certainly a bit of a worry. But... Uh, if it stays together and if we can, you know, get going again, get a couple of good results under our belts and this tight group of players can stay together, stay fit, I am kind of excited about what we might be able to do. Uh, I'm worried, of course, that, you know, we might not be able to do it. And if we miss out by, you know, a little bit, does that then drag up all the, you know, the stuff about January again, which I'm sure it will, but at this point, you know, I just want to see them get out there and I hope they come back and have come back from Dubai fit and healthy and rested and little aches and strains that they've been carrying into the, um, you know, into the, the, the break, um, you know, will be by the wayside and they can be, you know, just ready to go again. So on that basis, I am quite excited, I have to say. Yeah, there are definitely things I'm excited about. I'm excited about seeing, you know, what what Bukai Saka and Emma Smith-Rowe look like after some much-needed uh, time off. I'm mm. excited about what Martinelli might be able to do in the second half of this season. It, think, it feels like uh, he has been the major beneficiary of Aubameyang going. I mean, his ascendancy has kind of coincided with Aubameyang coming out of the team. And I don't think that's pure coincidence. I think there is a kind of significance to that sort of tactically. Um I'm excited about getting some midfielders back and available. I think we really had to muddle through in that part of the pitch in January. And mm. it was, or we failed to muddle through, I think, in, in some instances. Um, yeah, uh, and, you know, this is a group of players that I do, for the most part, really like, uh, feel very positive about. So I'm looking forward to seeing them play again. It's a, I think it's quite a tough start, to be honest. Wolves away on Thursday. Yeah. I don't think that's the easiest fixture to come back to and it's one that could have significant permutations in the table. I think if they beat us, they would go above us, um, mm. which wouldn't feel too good. But uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting, this kind of mid-season break. It does feel like a bit of a reset point. I keep coming back to this, but I do think that it, I hope it will have been very valuable to the players. I, I do think that, we saw some performances in January that looked a bit leggy, a bit fatigued, even mentally so. Um, and just seeing the little clips and pictures from Dubai, I think that change of scene, and for them as much as anything, just sort of wiping the slate clean almost and just focusing mm. on the task ahead, I think that could be really helpful. Yeah, I agree. And I watched um, watched an interview with Jack Wilshire. It was on TalkSport, but it was doing the rounds on Twitter and stuff. Mm. And... Um, it was quite interesting. He talked really well, I thought, about, you know, what they did and um, what the work they were doing out there was. And he said there was quite a lot of fitness work 
as mm. well as, you know, the, the other bits and pieces that they had some time off. But, yeah, I was interested to hear as well Mikel Arteta talk about the um, – what he felt was the benefit of the trip was, you know, to get people together and to foster a bit of team spirit. And it's one of those where I know people differ in terms of how important they think those things are and how, um, I mean, we can't measure them. There is no sort of metric or X team spirit, uh, that Opta can give us, you know, but they are important. And I do wonder if part of, Part of Arteta's outlook is to make sure that this his team or his groups of players are are as unified as possible um, as a way to try and sort of achieve some kind of marginal gain on the teams you know above us like Man City and Chelsea who are ultra rich, Liverpool who are much more developed and mature. You know, any little thing that he can wring out of these group of players. I mean, there's you know obviously the quality of players is, is the most important thing. But if you do have a collective, if you do have guys who are willing to go, you know, that extra inch that, you know, for each other in, in, in games, it can make a difference. It, it can make a difference, even if we can't measure it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it is clear that there is quite a positive feeling among the group. It's interesting, you know, we always sort of sit on the sidelines and dissect it and wonder about relationships and does so-and-so look happy? And then when you watch the training pictures, you're like, well, they, they, they do seem to be sort of largely enjoying their lives. Um, I think sometimes we... We 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 are, we are guilty as fans of kind of over-worrying about some of that stuff. And I also think that we... Um, you know, we exist in a world of sort of online discourse around Arsenal which hasn't been entirely positive in the last few weeks but one thing that I think is quite helpful for the players is they've literally been on another continent um, probably quite insulated from that you know while everybody was talking about transfers these players were in Dubai on essentially a kind of holiday training camp mm. having a good time and I do wonder you know I do think that that provides them sort of a measure of kind of protection from some of that angst. And mm. I think that could be really helpful. Like there's a unity and a clarity of purpose now that has to propel us through the next 17 games. And uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting. I think it, the, the stakes will feel very, very high. Every, you know, people talk about sort of kind of 17 cup finals. I do think mm. it may have that feel just because we're not fighting on multiple fronts. So the focus is going to be quite intense. The magnifying glass is really on these league fixtures. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You do approach it that way, you know, um, 17 cup finals is quite stressful in fairness though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them are against, you know, Spurs and Chelsea and Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah, some, big there's some big games. All right. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, let me see if I've got another one. Here's an interesting one actually from the chief who's at macho underscore grande one. And he mm -hmm. said a question for next week's pod before I forget. Oh, he said it the other day and he's reminding me of it today. Okay. So he says signing one striker is challenging. Signing two is incredibly difficult. Signing three is basically impossible. So what are the chances one or both of Lacazette and Kedia stay? And should we make it a priority to keep at least one? 
It's a good question, that. I, I do think that as soon as it became clear Aubameyang was on the way out, and whether that happened in January or in the summer, I think the chances of one or... Certainly one of those mm. two players, Lacazette or Nketiah, staying increased. Um, I mean, Eddie Nketiah is a, a really interesting case. I mean, I ha just to not to... I will come back to that question, but Highbury Lover on... Twitter said, Arteta's always believed more in Eddie than fans have. Does getting rid of Oba and not signing a replacement and rejecting bids for Eddie indicate Arteta is indeed looking to give him more game time and eventually time to a new contract? Um, I mean, uh, Eddie is probably the only person associated with Arsenal who was glad that they didn't sign a striker in January. <laughs> he is the person who, I guess, um, stands to benefit most from that and has a, mm. what you'd have to say is an unbelievable opportunity to uh, make a name for himself in the Premier League and earn himself a contract somewhere. Mm. I'm not, in answer to the question, convinced that he's suddenly going to be starting games um, because he has stuck around and over hasn't. I think that the, the reason we've kept him is clearly security you know just it would be unthinkable to ha only have Lacazette as a recognised striker mm. I don't think selling him was really an option in January if Aubameyang was going to go um, and I still think that it would take quite a dramatic change in circumstances for him to end up signing a new Arsenal contract I think he would I think he would have to contribute so significantly that he felt that he was going into next season genuinely competing for a first team place and I'm not sure I see that happening like I don't think he would sign a new contract to be third choice again next season no no so he would have to have such a good few months that he felt that the contract would reflect the fact that he was going to be you know, mm. taken more seriously in Arteta's thoughts sure. next year. I mean, would 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 a good few months like that though not make a, a move somewhere else much more likely, given the fact that he's out of contract in the summer? So let's say Eddie Nketiah, and I don't believe this will happen, but if he scored eight goals in the Premier League between now and the yeah. end of the season. Like, it might improve the offer that he gets from Arsenal, but it's more than likely going to make other clubs sit up and say, hey, this guy's free. And we exactly. may pay Arsenal, like, a little bit of a tribunal fee, you know. Yeah, but we might get a better tribunal yeah. fee if he does well. But, yeah, I, I think uh, that's... You're probably right. You know, I'm Newcastle, I don't think, did bid for uh, Eddie in January. Uh, I think it was Crystal Palace, but... You know, just to, if you pluck a Newcastle, mm. for example, and say, uh, you know, they bought Joe Willow. If if Eddie has a decent little stretch here, and they come in with a big contract for him, you know, then he's more likely to go there, yeah. I think, than stay as a backup player at Arsenal. And and um, so I I find it hard to foresee a situation where he remains at the club, right. just because I think even if it goes well, yeah, I I don't necessarily see it making sense. Like I do think that it's. Yeah, just to say, I do think it's a good thing that he needs it to go well. I mean, you know, I, I, you, he must be highly motivated at this point. Lacazette, 
Uh, I mean, the Leon Nona came out, didn't he, mm. during the break and said we're in touch with him, as he has every right to be, I think, from January 1st. Lacazette can sign a new deal yeah. somewhere else, uh, if it's outside the UK or outside England. Um, I think that he probably will go. I, I just think that Arsenal aren't going to offer him the length of deal that will give him the security at this point in his career. Um what do you think on those two? I mean, I agree with you on the Eddie thing. I think he wants to go and play somewhere. And like I said, uh, you know, even if it goes really well, I think it just increases the chances that he'll leave because he'll get a good contract somewhere else. He's got, you know, he's, what, 20, 22 now? He's Eddie? actually 34 now, Eddie and Ketia. Um, <laughs> it creeps up on you. It does. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he's he 22. 22. So, yeah, he's going to be 23 by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, May 30th he'll be 23 years of age and I I like think- that by the way when players turn age between seasons mm. it's really helpful yeah or I like Jack Wilshire was born on January 1st that again was helpful you could easily work it out <laughs> I don't like these sort of sneaky October birthdays that you miss and then you accidentally yeah, call something the wrong age you sign a 19 year old and you're thinking what a teenage whiz kid we've got and then like in October yeah. he's not anymore it's like no. Trades Description Act. Um, so I, I, I think probably this summer for a guy who's at 23 years of age and, you know, is at a point in his, in his career where I think he just will want to play regular football. And I don't think he's ever going to be a first-choice striker at Arsenal, so why wouldn't he go somewhere else where he's, mm-hmm. you know, in, a, in an environment where his chances of first-team football are increased? That's what I think will happen with him. Lacazette, like, I don't think there's ever been an intention to give him a, a new contract, which is why we are where we are with him. But I, the Aubameyang thing, we weren't expecting to lose him this year. We weren't expecting him to go next year either, I don't think. So, yeah, again, it comes down to what else he's got available to him as an offer like if if we're offering him a one plus one deal and Mm. Leon come in with a three-year deal maybe three plus one something like that like we don't have any chance of keeping him even if we wanted to he would go um you know he would go somewhere else I think because the length of contract that you get when you're a 30 year old is an important aspect of of your decision making right Mm -hmm. so I I I wouldn't be at all surprised if Arsenal tried to keep him, but I don't know that we'd be able to. Yeah, I I think they'll make him an offer. The way things are going, I think they'll make him an offer, but I don't know if it'll be one that he would be inclined to take. And I think the upshot of that is that, going back to the original question, I think it's highly likely that Arsenal may need to look at more than one forward in the summer. Mm. Um, you know, if, unless Martinelli gets a run through the middle and it begins to become clear that that might be his future or unless Balogun absolutely explodes at Middlesbrough and looks like he's ready to come back into the first team squad, I really think it's possible that we could be looking at requiring two strikers rather than just one. Okay, well, on the Discord, Nayef says, morning, gents. Do you really believe we are going to go for uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin? He wrote DCL, and for a second I couldn't figure out what the hell DCL was. Um, and Isaac in the summer. And would that be 
an elite strike force. And, and, you know, these are just based on, you know, what I think um, have been public, publicly reported as, as targets uh, for yeah. Arsenal players that Arsenal certainly are interested in. But, you know, would that be a good summer for you, Calvert-Loon and, and Alexander Isaac? Well, I mean, first of all, I've reported that, that Isaac Vlavic and um, Calvert-Lewin were the top three targets in January. And, mm. and I can say that with some conviction. Um, I, I'm very convinced of that. Obviously, between now and the summer, somebody might emerge or that list might shift or alter. But all indications are that those two names will be in contention again um, come the next transfer window. I mean, uh, there are question marks over both. You know, so Calvert-Lewin uh, has barely played this season, uh, missed basically the entirety of the first half of the season, hasn't really come back yet to anything like any sort of form. Isaac, his goal scoring has dropped off this year. Um, you know, he's not been hugely productive in Spain with Sociedad. Mm. Um, equally, it's not like there are a ton of other names, you know, that you immediately say, well, it should be them. You know, I know Jonathan David's having an excellent season in France mm. uh, with Lille. So that would be one, I think, maybe to consider. But it's not easy to identify, you know, if, if we accept that Arsenal aren't going to be able to sign Erling Haaland, for example. I think I can accept that, yes. I think I, yeah. I've already accepted I, that. I think I very much accept that. We do get quite a lot of questions, don't we, sort of saying, why couldn't Arsenal sign Haaland? Um, I think the bigger question is, why would Haaland choose Arsenal mm. at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's playing in the Champions League. Um yeah, I think it's not the logical next step for him in his career. Um, so Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and Isaac have different strengths and weaknesses. And I think there are different people within the club who are in favour of either. Mm. I think with Isaac, what they like is his pressing game. He's quite good off the ball. He's good at dropping into midfield, linking things up. Uh, very technically strong with Calvert-Lewin. Uh, he's more of a physical presence. He has a decent, actually, goal-scoring record in the Premier League already. I think last season he was pretty effective in front of goal, 16 goals, something like that. Mm. Um, and they're both at an age, particularly Isaac, where they could kick on a gear. You know, And, yeah, yeah. and I think Calvert-Lewin too, even though he's sort of coming up to mid-20s, when you think about that type of centre-forward, the sort of archetypal target man, it is often post-24, post-25 that they really uh, explode. You know, mm. I, I mean, certainly that was the case for someone like Didier Drogba. Uh, Harry Kane, I think, was a little bit later on when he really began to flourish. Olivier Giroud, who we saw at Arsenal, mm. was kind of a bit of a journeyman in the early 20s and still going strong at AC Milan, I noticed this weekend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we... Uh, I guess I say with some hesitation, we have to trust uh, that if they plump for one of those guys, they believe the fit will be right. Um, but it's a, a hugely important signing and one that if it just doesn't work at all, will be a millstone around the club's neck because neither of these guys would come cheap. What do you think of those two? I mean, 
I would take them now, of course. Um, sure. You know, uh, we're sort of beggars can't be choosers scenario when it comes to strikers. I'm really f- fascinated to see what they do in the summer in, in this position because, you know, in the five transfer windows that Mikel Arteta has had, he's, he's never bought a forward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I suppose you could include Willian as a forward, but not really. Um, he hasn't had to because he's had Aubameyang, he's had Lacazette, he's had Inkeria, he's had, you know, players at the club. Um, so there hasn't necessarily been space. So I'm really interested to see, you know, what he does when when he does buy a striker and what kind of profile he's looking for. Because I think there might be a sense out there that whoever it is could be like the final piece of the jigsaw, if you like, um, of mm-hmm. his, you know, his first team that he's put together because this is now pretty much a team in his own image Um, Mm -hmm. when it when you look at the defenders when you look at the midfielders I know there are some players that he's inherited but you know pretty much anyone he doesn't want you know is no longer here um, to varying degrees of of ruthlessness right so this is pretty much a team in his image beyond the center forward that he might like uh, you know, or that he feels would be the right fit for his team. So I'm I'm really interested, whether it's Isaac or whether it's Calvert-Lewin or somebody else that we don't quite know. Um, you know, this purchase come the summer will be the one that might well define the success that, you know, he has at this football club. Because once you do get all the bits, once you do get all the pieces, um, and this is, of course, being... Uh, how do I say this? I mean, not every manager gets everything they want. You know what I mean? They have to deal with what they have and they have to work with what they have. And the, you know, the idea that you can only be judged until you get every single player that you want in every single position is, you know, that that's a bit crazy. I accept that. But um, I do think that we've gone so far down the road with this project that that's probably the outcome that that we're going to see for Arteta, you know, unless it goes really badly wrong in these 17 games. I think whatever happens, you know, they're planning for the summer and that's the next thing that they're going to they're going to do is bring in a striker. So, um yeah, I'm really interested. I don't know who it's going to be, but like at this point, of course, I would take I would take any of them. Um can I ask you another question? Yash yeah. Bisht uh who's at Arsenal 09 says, "Should we consider bringing in a winger?" Pepe and Nelson seem to have run their races, or we only have two natural wingers in Martinelli and Saka. If we get Europe next season, it isn't ideal. Uh, and then he says we should keep one eye on Gnabry due to his contractual situation. And there was another question on the Discord that mentioned Serge Gnabry. Um, if I can find it, um, boom, 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 which I can't, and I apologize to whoever it was uh, that asked it. But I don't know, uh, is Gnabry's contract up in the summer or what's, is it one year to go, whatever it might be? Uh, I'll have a look now. I'll it looks it. like one year to go right. in the summer. I mean, again, forgive me, but I just don't see that happening. <laughs> no, 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 again, me neither. Me neither, but... Again, why would you leave Bayern Munich um, to come play Arsenal? And listen, I would. I love Arsenal, but uh, I'm not sure Serge Gnabry... He's pre- he probably one. feels like he's got unfinished business. Unfinished business, You know what I mean? It's it. gnawing yeah. away at the back of his mind. He's thinking, here I am in, in Germany, in the Bundesliga, in sure. Munich, winning every game. 
you know, going far in the Champions League, playing for Germany, but, you know, it's not it's not what I really want. I want to go back and fix that situation that I I had at Arsenal. It didn't work out. He's yearning. Yeah. He's yearning for those nil-nil draws. He's a Burnley. July birthday as well. Uh, do it now. Move Get mountains. Get him in. Whatever the cost. Um, a wide player. I think it's very possible we will be looking at a wide player. I mean... But I, it's not an area where we're short of numbers, you know. Mm. Saka, uh, Smith Rowe, Martinelli, uh, Pepe, who's a sort of a conversation topic unto himself. I think Reese Nelson, I'd be very surprised if he comes back into the Arsenal squad. He's had quite a difficult loan thus far, and I hope yeah. it turns around for him and he's able to make more of an impact. I thought it would be a really good move going to Holland, but it's just not caught light at all. Um there were some interesting comments, there. weren't there, from the yeah. manager about, you know, the, the end products. Side. Yeah, the tactical uh, side of the game. That he has, he basically saying he had a bit to learn, um, which mm. I guess is natural. But uh, nothing he's shown there suggests he's going to be pushing for a place back in the Arsenal first team. I do think Amari Hutchinson looks a really interesting Ooh. young player. Ooh, doesn't he just? Doesn't he yeah. just? The goal Fantastic he scores goal at, at the, the weekend. weekend. Yeah, wow. Um, maybe it would be a bit soon for him maybe a loan would come beforehand but I do think that's a name that will be in contention over the next few years I think much depends on Pepe I actually mm. had a question about Pepe do you okay. mind if I yeah, sure. uh, ask you it it was from Dazzy Pepper on Discord and Dazzy said let's talk about Pepe do you expect him to be getting involved regularly and making starts now that AFCON has passed or will he continue his run of being an unused substitute? We're going to need goals. And for whatever his flaws, we know he can find the back of the net and create chances. I I hope he's more involved. Because I I think we have to, with a small squad, we have to manage it smartly and cleverly. We cannot, you know, for example, play Bakayo Saka 17 games in a row, 90 minutes plus injury time, every single time as he's getting kicked up and down the pitch by... Uh, opposition defenders, which is a trademark of what's happened to him this season because he's good and players know it, so he's getting a bit of treatment. Um, so I think we need to manage him quite carefully. And obviously Pepe is the next option in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has been out of the side this season for the most part. He hasn't really contributed, but I, I think it's important that we get him involved because we need a little bit of variety. We need to be able to rest players. We need to add something from the bench. Um, you know, when you think about the squad that we have and when you think about, you know, let's say a starting 11, when that doesn't work or if it's not successful or if there are games where it's not going particularly well, the ability to change it from the bench is going to be really, really important. And we don't have, when you look at the squad, a huge amount of depth. You know, there are, there are potentially going to be a lot of young players on the bench. Is it nine subs you can name now? I think it is, isn't it? Uh, so is at least seven. seven. Isn't it mad that I don't know? I think it's seven. Um, Hang on. We need to check this out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's nine. I could be wrong. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's nine. 
It's nine. It's nine. It's nine. Wow. It is nine. So you, we've seen people talk about, um, you know, a, a squad of whatever it is, 17, 18 players. I mean, it is 11 plus seven gives you 18. That could include a couple of goalkeepers. So potentially there are going to be some young players on the bench just to make up the numbers. Um, yeah. But then, you know, if your bench is, let's say, uh, holding Cedric, Nuno, Elneny, Inketia, and then what? You know, maybe one of Smith, Smith Rowe, Rowe you know, yeah. but, I, you know, I, I want to see him back in the starting 11. Um, and then what have you got? You've got Pepe, and you've got maybe Smith Rowe, or you've got Martinelli, maybe, or or I don't know, depending on who it is that you're starting. There isn't a great deal that you would feel confident about to have an impact as a sub, right? Mm -hmm. So on that basis alone, surely Pepe is in contention for quite a few minutes um, in games where we need a goal or we need something different or we need, yeah, if if you need to like do what Arsene Wenger did and throw on all the strikers, you know, he's surely going to be part of that conversation. So I do expect him to be involved. Uh, and I hope that there are games where where he can start and it, and we can manage the minutes of some of the other players in order to keep them, um, you know, fresh and ready, perhaps for some of the bigger games. Interesting. See, I, I think, uh, conversely, I don't think he will get many starts. I just think surely the benefit of us only being in one competition and frequently only playing once a week, is that we will be able to largely, if we want, name the same starting eleven. Mm. And I and I suspect Arteta will lean into that. I, I um, think that's true. I do think that's true. Um, but, but there will be occasions, I guess, where we have midweek games. Yeah, or, or you know, what if, what if, you know, it's all well and good saying, well, you could start the same eleven. But not everybody's going to be at the top of their game for all 17 games. Form will fluctuate. You know, collectively and individually, there are going to be fluctuations in form. But there will be injuries as well. Yeah, injuries and all those things. But you need to be able to, let's say Bukayo Saka doesn't play well for a few games. And maybe the best way to get him back to his best is to, you know, sit him down for a couple of weeks. That's not a punishment or anything like that. That's just part of the way football works. And that's where I think Pepe could come in. I, yeah, see, I think I, I just wonder if Saka's kind of passed that point in some ways, where he's mm. so important that even if he has two bad games, Arteta will gamble on him playing well in the next. And what if he has four bad games or five bad? Ah, uh, <laughs> that's the magic number. Yeah. yeah, of course, of course, it's open. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying my my instinct is that starting games may be difficult for him to come by, mm. but. I really hope he can have an important role within games and maybe that will be more from the substitutes mm. bench in, in, my, in the way I see things playing out. Because as you say, when you're looking at that bench and you're envisaging who might come on and make a difference or score a goal, I think it's, I think it's pretty... You know, if one of Martinelli or Smith-Rowe doesn't start, then I guess they would be the first name. Mm. But then I think he'd be a very close second in terms of his productivity and his threat. Um, so, yeah, I, I, listen, 
I find it very hard to talk about his long-term future with any great certainty. I, you know, we've been back and forth so many times on mm. this player. Is he in? Is he out? Is he going to get a new contract? Is he going to leave? But I, I think he, he is here now. As far as we're aware, everything's cool. There's no uh, underlying issues that mean he shouldn't play, no mm. disciplinary problems, no exclusion. You know, he's we're paying him. He's here. We've got to use him. Mm. And yeah, I mean, if I was making a sub in a game looking for the breakthrough, I think he might even be the first name for me. Sure. In, in terms of just being someone who can make something happen out of nothing. Who do you think, just before we go into a break, um, you know, if we if we say that there's maybe two places on the bench up for grabs for an under-23 player, mm-hmm. who do you think are the most likely candidates to be included in the squad? What's interesting, because a lot of players went out on loan, didn't they, right at the end of January? And I think it's sort of instructive who didn't go. Mm. So um, obviously Charlie Patino uh, has been on the bench quite a lot already and has even started in the FA Cup. Uh, Amari Hutchison stuck around and Mika Beereth as well the forward Mm. um do you think he as like a center forward option might be yeah one of the more likely yeah the other one is um Salah Salah Ladenhand who has had a very good season and midfield option I I think if I'm honest with you I think it probably if it's going to be one it will be Patino just because I think they see him as the closest maybe in terms of his um, trajectory and his mm. involvement with the first team and the regularity with which he trains with them and and maybe they see him as the most immediate beneficiary of that experience of being around that environment. Mm. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I think may I think maybe Beer's got to have a chance, hasn't he? Just because he is a forward and we're shy of those and his goal scoring record at academy level, wherever he's been, has been outstanding. Um, mm. he's got to have a shot but you know they might rotate it a bit I mean I do think Amari Hutchinson's a really interesting player yeah. it's just as a kind of I think I'm right in saying predominantly left footed player um, who comes off the right hand side a lot you know we're, we're already asking how many opportunities Pepe's going to get so yeah, 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 yeah. there might be a bit of a, a pecking order there what do you fancy I mean, I like. I mean, just watching Hutchinson's goals uh, and the ability to yeah. look. I know it's a different, uh, a different thing at that level, but just that drive that he has. Uh, you know, I wonder if in the last ten minutes of certain games, having somebody like that on your bench might be, might be useful. You know, as a as a last throw of the dice kind of thing, because mm. you know our forward options aren't really um, convincing, but. Maybe he'll look at it and say, well, I can throw Inketi on, I can throw Pepe on. And then, you know, he may have one more senior player, but what we, what you can do with substitutes as well is often uh, dictated to by what happens in games as well. You know, you can be forced to use a couple and uh, whether it's um, injury or uh, sending off or whatever. And I don't rule out the possibility that Arsenal might have a player or two sent off um, in these 17 games. Just just a crazy idea, I know. All right, (laughs) let's take a little break. We'll come back with more questions in part two right after this.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on uh, what, what's fucking, what's it called? Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Uh, Twitter, yeah, at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you if you're an uh, ArsBlog member on Patreon. Um, I should point out it was Wasted Youth AFC who asked the question about Gnabry that I couldn't find. So thank you ah, for that, for that one. Um, do you want to go first because we'll do some more questions? Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. Well, Brian Loophole, uh, <laughs> I really like <laughs> Brian <that>. Loophole. <laughs> On the Discord says, Goodly morning, gents. How important do you think it is that we get a win against Wolves? With the recent good feeling amongst the fans taking a bit of a hit in January due to the results in the window, I worry that a draw or a loss in that game could create a lot of hostility in the fan base again. Mm. Brian Loophole. He should be like a detective or something, shouldn't he? Exactly. Series of detectives. He's a hotshot lawyer. Brian Loophole. (laughs) He always finds a way. Yeah. Brian Loophole, this Thursday on NBC. Um, What is the question? Oh, yeah, how important? Of course it's important. Um, Yeah. I think the fact that, you know, we're we're coming off a big break and we didn't do the business people wanted us to do in January, it does add a little extra pressure on this one. Um, Like you said earlier, I think it's going to be a tough game. They're all going to be tough games, of course. But mm-hmm. this will be particularly tough. You know, sometimes you can have a little break and it takes you a game or two to get back and to find your rhythm and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, that plus a fairly unconvincing January. Um, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot to be positive about this season, I think. But January, for me anyway, wasn't a, a particularly positive month. Um, so we, we have to get going again, and we have to show some of the form that we did in in, uh, in December when we played really well, scored lots of goals, uh, won games convincingly uh, against the kind of opposition that I guess you would put Wolves into the same category as. You know, West Ham... Um, I think they're better than Southampton and Norwich, obviously. I can't remember who the other game was. Leeds, you know, tough, hardworking sides who are going to make it difficult for us, but we coped well in those games. So, yeah, you know, it's all the angst and frustration that we feel about the things that we can't control, 
you know, off the pitch and transfer market and all that kind of stuff will fade into the background if, you know, we, we win games on a regular basis. Simple as that. So, yeah, it's going to be very important indeed. Yeah. I mean, they are, if you look at the Premier League form table over the mm. last five rounds of fixtures, Wolves are third. Uh, they've mm. won their last three. They, uh, I think their other games were postponed, one of them against us at the Emirates Stadium. But yeah, they, they come into it in good shape. I think they're very organised side. They've got an excellent goalkeeper. He's been brilliant this mm. season, Jose Sarr. I think their central midfield of Moutinho and Neves continues to impress with its ability to kind of dominate the ball and use it effectively. Um, they're very, very decent. and uh, But all that said, I think a defeat, I think there would be, yeah... Pitchforks will be out. Recriminations. Yeah, I think the frustrations that people felt around deadline day, which have kind of had, or will have had about 10 days to subside, would certainly bubble up again. I think a point, I don't like saying I want Arsenal to win every game. I don't think a point at Wolves is a bad result in context at all. Um, But we're at a stage of the season where every point is precious and three Mm. points are especially so um and you know I, I mean if wolves keep going like they're going then you have to call this a bit of a six pointer really i mean they they're a team who they'd be outsiders for a top mm. six place but they would consider themselves in contention for sure for sure um, and it's two games in two weeks against wolves because the the home game has been rescheduled for the end of february yeah and listen something i've felt all season long december was a bit of a an outlier in this is that, you know, we were a much better side at home than we are away. Mm. Um, and, you know, in a hostile atmosphere, we, we don't, haven't always looked quite the same team. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see how we cope with that element of it as well. Um, I'm certainly a lot more confident about the, the home fixture against them than I am the away one. But yeah, it will be really interesting, won't it, to see, you know, you, know, you mentioned that lack of sharpness. I mean, we're used to teams looking a bit rusty after an international break. I guess there the difference is the players are all sort of disparate and they haven't had a lot of time together. In theory, they've had more time together now than they'll get almost at any other point in the season to work on things. Yeah. And a friendly game at the weekend as well. I believe they played against Reading. They certainly were due to play. Um, they should be in good nick mm. coming into this one. Yeah, we'll know how well it went on Friday if Mikel Arteta wheels out his brand new assistant manager, Brian Loophole. <laughs> yeah. Just exactly. to get away with it again. Um, we okay. Might need him. Yeah, we might need him. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, at Joy, Joy It Guha on Twitter, who's at Balo Chele. Uh, apologies if I've mispronounced that, says, Goodly Monday morning. The next six fixtures for Arsenal are Wolves, Brentford, Wolves, Watford, Leicester, Aston Villa. What would be the minimum number of points you think we need to be in contention for a top four? And what do you think we will get? Like, what's a decent return from that run of fixtures? For top four, he's saying. Mm. Um, Arsenal need a lot of points from those games to get top four because there are tougher ones ahead. Yeah. I think I'm right in saying that we ha- sort of statistically have harder fixtures in the second half of the season than we've had in the first. Um, so six games he's asking about, right? Okay, mm. Wolves away, Brentford at home, Wolves at home, Watford away, Leicester at home, Villa away. 
Villa don't look a bad side at the moment either. So I think they need to, if they're going to get top four, one, two, three. I think to get top four, they probably have to win five of those six. So Certainly that's 15, four. yeah. I'm only saying that because I think there are games ahead beyond that. You know, once yeah. we get beyond that, we start getting into Manchester United. Uh, we've got a game against Spurs to be rearranged. We've got a game against Chelsea somewhere that's got to be rearranged, I think. You know, there there are fixtures where I... not ex- Well, I wouldn't say expect us to drop points, but certainly fear we will drop points. That is a relatively kind run mm. um, Wolves and Villa away are not easy games they're not gimmies don't get me wrong but I think we we certainly need to win four um, and it would be good if we could win five what do yeah. you think <laughs> I think that guy should turn off his bloody windblower I'll, I'll shut the shutter at least to try and dampen it wow uh, um, Yes, go on. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we need to win. If we're going to get top four, we need to win five of those. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Um, that is a ridiculous noise, isn't it? It is quite loud. Is it louder it is than loud. usual? Uh, it doesn't... Well, we've sort of... By switching to 10.30, we've sort of largely evaded it, but he's obviously... You know, he's had a big weekend, started a shift late. Um, dear, oh dear. Okay. Well, I can give it some time if you want. I can uh, see if he stops, but I reckon it'll be 20 minutes, half an hour. 20 minutes, half an hour. No, we've got to crack on through, unfortunately. Hopefully he can just sort of fade away into the background a little bit for everybody, and uh, uh, and we'll see what happens. But, yeah, we've got to win five of those for top four. I mean, I think if you come away with four wins, a couple of draws, you can't be unhappy either. Um no. And then you've got to look at, the, like you say, you've got to look at those games against the the more difficult opposition, the the likes of Spurs and Chelsea and and uh, Liverpool, Man United. Those games, you know, if you get something from those, then it becomes not quite a bonus, but it gives you maybe a. Uh, some of those games could well be six pointers. The United one, the Spurs one, um, like we just said with the Wolves one. So, yeah, and the thing is about this Arsenal team. One thing they've done relatively well, not well, but it's interesting, is that they haven't drawn that many games this mm. season. In the past, we've you know we've drawn loads and loads. We've only drawn three times this year. So although we've lost seven games, the fact that we've converted a lot of potential draws into wins means that we're in a decent enough spot. And mm. three points are so valuable. You know, it, there's such a uh, prize for getting the, the the results with the three points that we've got to go for those. So yeah, at least four, probably five. If we're, if we're serious about the Champions League, yeah. Okay. Um, is it my question or your question? Uh... Uh, it's probably mine. Actually, I've got some questions that are sort of a little bit away from the uh, the 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 the, the, fir- the Arsenal men's first team path. So Simon okay. here on the Discord said. Uh, morning guys just wondered on your thoughts on Vivian Miedemar is she the perfect forward that pass for the equaliser on the weekend was Burkamp at his best holy moly it was a brilliant pass wasn't it yeah I mean what a ball that was Um, is she the perfect forward I mean maybe but um, yeah the vision and the execution of that pass was just unbelievable I saw people talking about it on Twitter I hadn't seen it and then I was going well wow this must be 
this must be, a, I was expecting like a threaded kind of through ball or something like that, but right, to yeah. play it from as deep as she did between the United defenders into the path of the the forward was just phew, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It, it's interesting, like, you know, she's talked about this many times, but because her goal scoring record is so good, she is sort of characterised sometimes as number nine, but I think she always sees herself as more of a, a nine and a half or a ten, someone who can play deeper. And mm. I think it's because she's just got such a rounded game uh, that she is capable of moments like that, even in, in, in deeper roles. Mm. Um, yeah, I, listen, she what she has done, I think, for the women's team has been extraordinary. And I think her ability has kind of elevated uh, the women's game in England I think you know I, I don't know I've never known a, a female footballer so talked about among sort of wider mm. diaspora fans um, and yeah I, I've absolutely loved watching her and, and intend to savour every moment of her in an Arsenal shirt mm, yeah contract is up at the end of the season as well isn't it so yeah, yeah. We'll enjoy to, it while you can yeah maybe so maybe so did you have another one there you said you had a couple uh, I did actually What this was um was it on the Discord or was it on Twitter? Let me have a little look. Uh, this was about positions in football. I thought it was quite interesting. I just need to find it, which is why okay. I'm doing this talking slowly. Arctic G. Wilo on the Discord says, We have seen nearly all positions in the game change drastically, tactically, or in how it's played in the last 10 to 15 years or so. But what is the position that you think has changed the most... And secondly, what position has changed the least? Oh, um, I suppose the the obvious one is goalkeeper when it comes to changing the most because of what you need or what teams want their goalkeepers to do with the ball at their feet now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it used to be a case that, you know, you pass back to your goalkeeper, you pick it up and away you go. And then goalkeepers had to play with their feet and most of them couldn't. And then it became like a safety option. Go back to the goalkeeper, goalkeeper lumps it and away you go again. But now you need the goalkeeper to, to be able to pass the ball and to be able to put it, you know, with precision in the path of certain players or into certain players and, and to evade, almost be like a defender in terms of how they evade the high press. So that seems like an obvious one. Um, what's changed the least? That's a difficult one, I think. Yeah, I think I was thinking about this and I, I would probably go for central midfield in some capacity. Mm. Only in that I feel like the demands on that position compared to some others have been relatively consistent. You know, there's always been a kind of all-round well, not always, but certainly in the last 20 years or so, there's always been an all-round element to it. And I think while the sort of athleticism has stepped up, I think that kind of the boxes you need to tick to play in that part of the pitch are relatively consistent. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, the ability to be a two-way player, if you know what I mean, um, is still yeah. so important. Because I think centre-forward... You know, goal scorers are always going to have a place in the game, but I do think the kind of defensive and sort of tactical component has changed quite a lot there with the advent, not the advent, but I guess the resurgence in pressing. Um, 
you know, also slightly the, the, the combination play, I think, has, has become a little bit more detailed. Um, wingers, you know, that thing of sort of getting to the byline and, and slinging crosses in is, mm. feels a little outdated now. You know, there's an expectation that you'll invert and go in field. Um, Centre-backs, I think the requirements on the ball were so different. We spoke not too long ago about Sol Campbell and how would he fare in the modern game yeah, with the yeah, ball yeah. at his feet. I think it would be really interesting to see how he'd handle that. And fullback, I think fullback, if you weren't going to go for goalkeeper, I think you could make a case for a position that's really changed and developed just in terms of the degree of influence they seem to exert on do, a game. Do you think that's a general thing though or have there just been some fullbacks yeah. who have been so outstanding that they become in the minds of people who watch as like, well that's how you have to play fullback and that's what you have to be able to do from fullback whereas let's say somebody like Danny Alves for example is just like an extraordinary player in that position who you know there aren't very many players who can do what Danny Alves does no I do take that point and I think Alves and should we say the guys at Liverpool, I think are kind of outliers, I think, in terms of mm. how excellent they are and their degree of productivity. But I still think that that has, in being such outliers, they have influenced, I think, uh, the development of mm. the position. And I, 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 maybe this is unfair, but I feel like you used to be able to hide a player at fullback a bit. I know it's really like Those days are long gone. Um I don't think there are any passengers in a team these days, but I think partly the playing out from the back, the emphasis on that, um, and I just think what's expected of them going forward. But it's interesting, you know, you speak to some people and they'll say football hasn't changed that much. You know, mm. there was an interesting quote from, who was it? Martin O'Neill at the weekend. Did you see this? No. Martin O'Neill said he went to a talk, a seminar that was given by Ralph Ranick. Um, where Ranić sort of demonstrated his five principles of how to play the game. And Martin O'Neill sort of said, well, I learned three of those on my first day in the job. And I, I don't know if it's just sort of, you know, some people will He's say... He's a miserable uh, prick, though. Yeah, some people will say that. <laughs> but, uh, equal, and, you know, there might just be that kind of old man thing of, oh, in my day, it was all the same. Four, but I do four, think two. Is, yeah, but I do think there is... I do have some sympathy with... Um, coaches from a previous generation about that. I do think that the way in which we as fans and journalists and media discuss and analyse and are informed about tactics now um, means that we're sort of uh, constantly reading new insights to it. But I think that means that we're sometimes guilty of thinking, well, that means there weren't tactics 30 years ago, which yeah, just yeah, isn't yeah, the yeah. case at all, you know. Yeah. Um, our football parlance has become so much more sophisticated that we're able to kind of unpick tactics in a way that we weren't. You know, something like mm. pressing, for example. You know, Dave Bassett was doing that at Wimbledon in the 80s, but it was, you know, just not analysed in quite the same fashion. Exactly. It was like John Aldridge, um, when he was playing for Ireland under Jack Charlton, running back and forth. I mean, it wasn't yeah. quite coordinated pressing, but it was putting pressure on the opponent high up the pitch. So they would, you know... The principles have yeah. remained largely the same, yeah, but yeah, I, I do, but equally, 
I'm sure it is substantially more sophisticated at yeah. this point. And, I, and also, it's fashion as well. Like, you know, sometimes these things come and then they disappear. You know, there was a time when every team played with the kind of uh, Claude McAuley bloke sat in front of a back four and then midfield has moved slightly away from that to be a little bit more two-way. You know, mm. there are... Uh, fashions in football that that come and go and that alter as teams shift in style. Hmm. So yeah, who knows where who we'll knows. be in, uh, in 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 five years' time? The keepers will be playing on the halfway line or something mental like that, probably. Um, okay, here's a question from at Magic Vindaloo on Twitter, whose name is Sotiris. Anastasiadis. Anastasiadis, I think. Okay. Um, he says, Hi, gents, long time listener, blah, blah, blah. I love the clear of the decks effort and buying young, but should we now look at a couple of experienced players? We don't need every player in the team to be a project. I think this is an mm. interesting question. I'm just, just to sort of for the point of sort of, you know, having a strong opinion, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say we shouldn't go for players uh, over the age of kind of 25, 26. I, I think that we've just been burnt so many times by buying players whose market value diminishes during their time with us mm -hmm. that as a fan, I just don't, I just don't really want to do it anymore. You know, like, for example, these components that we're looking for, centre forward, centre midfield, I don't think we have to stick rigidly to the under 23 thing. I think if they're 24, 25, that's fine. Mm. But once they get to kind of 27, 28, I don't think we should be doing that at this point in the project and at this point in our development. So I'm going to say no. What about you? I'm pretty much aligned with that, but I do think that sometimes you might be presented with an opportunity to to add some ready-made, fully developed talent to your team, which can help mm -hmm. you take a step forward. I don't think we should be completely closed to the idea of signing a player because he's at an age where we're going to end up in a situation like, for example, the Lacazette situation where we buy a guy who's 25. By the time he leaves at the end of his five-year contract, he's 30. Nobody wants to buy him. The transfer market is what it is, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't mean that what that player gives you in terms of value for money, if they can produce on the pitch, isn't something we should consider. So I think broadly, I agree with you. I think we, if we're going to spend big money on a striker, it should be a 22-year-old, 23-year-old who even if he doesn't make it at 26, if we try and sell him, you know, we can get some money back f for him. Whereas, you know, which is the situation I think we're in with Pepe this mm. summer. You know, he's going to be 26. He is 26, whatever age, you know, he's still got good years ahead of him and at two years left on his contract, we're never going to get back what we paid for him, but we should get something if we decide to sell, right? Um, so that's where I think the money should be spent. But if there is the opportunity to add ready-made talent to your squad that can instantly improve your team, you cannot be closed off to that, even if you have been burned. That's just the nature of 
of the way football works at the moment. Or maybe it's maybe we're going to have a situation, James, where players get to a kind of midpoint of their career and let their contracts run down as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's it's all these players who are 30 heading towards the end of their contracts, running their contracts down. But maybe now the way to get a move isn't necessarily going to be a transfer because teams are not going to want to spend money on 25, 26-year-olds who are going to be 30 by the time they leave because they know they're not going to they're A, not going to be able to keep them for the duration of their contract. They're going to have to sell them at 28, whatever it might be. So maybe there's a case that you'll see players, you know, who are looking at their contractual situations who are going to say, I will sign a contract and I'll see that contract out, contract out till I'm 25, 26, and then I've got the options. I can stay with my club if they want me or I'm I'm available on the market for for free. So... Yeah, that would be an interesting development. I, I, I think you make a really good point. I mean, granted, it's not a deal that worked out particularly well, but Liverpool are, are often praised for their smart thinking in the transfer market. But when an opportunity came up to sign Thiago at 29, they didn't hesitate mm. because they felt he could provide an immediate injection of quality. I guess once you've undertaken the kind of big rebuild and regeneration of the squad that we had to do and mm. are in the process of doing, adding someone who's a bit more experienced um, begins to make a bit more sense. I think the problem was we were doing that on a squad that was already yeah. aging. Uh, but when you have kind of completely renovated it, one or two here and there wouldn't hurt. I mean, it's funny, you know... I, I hesitate to say this, but I almost wonder if there might be value. If Arsenal do lose Lacazette, um, they will have just lost, and having lost to Bamiang as well, they might lose Bern Leno. They will have lost so much seniority and experience within the squad. I do wonder if there's a place for almost a kind of, and bear with me on this, but a kind of Stefan Licksteinery type of signing. Yeah. I just someone who is like a, a, an experienced squad player who's been there and done that and can be a bit of a role model for players. Not necessarily someone who's going to play every week, but who, you know, sets the right example and just has the benefit of having been in these kind of situations before and can share that with such a young group. Mm. Um, I've got no idea who that would be. And hopefully it'd be someone who would perform better than Licksteiner did in his time at Arsenal. But yeah, it wouldn't be a crazy piece of thinking. Yeah, I know what you mean. I do think maybe a 35-year-old is going too far the other way. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think there is some benefit to experience, but quality will always, will always trump that. Here's a question from Richard O'Grady, who's at Richard O'Grady85 on Twitter. And he says, Goodly morning, gents. How concerned are you over the Saka contract rumours? And also... If we miss out on top six, do you think Mikel Arteta's time is up? Actually, I didn't want to ask that one. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask the one about Saka. I thought it, uh, it was related to that. Um, so Saka contract rumors, talk of um, you know him being offered a new deal, but also reported interest from Liverpool and Manchester City. Well, can we be surprised by that? You know, he's one of the best young players in the country. He had a fantastic Euros as well. Mm. We forget last summer. So I doubt it's only clubs in England looking at Bukayo Saka. I'm sure clubs like Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, I'm sure he's on all of their radars. If, if he wasn't, they wouldn't be doing their jobs. 
um, because he's brilliant. And am I worried about the contract situation? Uh, a little bit. A little bit only in that, you know, he's got an agent that uh, we've not always been able to swiftly do deals with. Mm-hmm. There have been some protracted negotiations. I'm thinking of cases like Balogun. Um, I mean, Eddie's slightly different, but there have been one or two others. Uh, I mean, that you know have have not always progressed as smoothly as maybe the club would like. But uh, and I'm sure there's. I'm sure the agent in question would say, well they haven't made the right offers so mm. uh, I'm sure there's two sides to that story but it's not something that's keeping me up at night at this right. point I just think Saka's he seems happy he's doing well um, I'm not preoccupied by it maybe I should be but I'm not are mm. you? well look I, I, I think I prefer a situation where we have a player so good that everybody wants him rather than players who are so average nobody does you know mm-hmm. that's to me a better situation for arsenal to be in because you go places with those players you know you can end up making progress with players like that whereas you can't really with with the other kind um I think this is very much tied into how much progress we make as a team, as a club as well, you know. Uh, If it feels like we can compete properly, if it feels like we can win things, and I don't just mean the occasional cup, I mean if we can challenge, if we're back in Europe, I think our job of tying him down to a new contract becomes a lot easier, a lot easier, Mm -hmm. you know. He's grown up with the club and... I'm sure that if he felt he could win the things his talent should win or, you know, at least be involved in, then he'll stay. I don't think we'll have a difficult job in convincing him to stay. Mm-hmm. But as we've seen, like, I think the Jack Grealish thing is a, a really good example. You know, a Villa boy grew up at the club, loves Aston Villa, but at the end of the day was too good for them. You know, his his talent was such that for him to achieve what he felt like he wanted to achieve from the game, he'd move. And that's what I think Saka will do and any Arsenal player will do unless we can make this team competitive. So that falls then, of course, on, you know, the manager and the executives and the owners and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, it's for me, it's impossible to, to separate the, the contract situation from our own progress. You know, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, th- what the Grealish situation also shows is that if Man City decide they really want a player, um, they are prepared to go to quite extraordinary lengths to get them. I mean, a hundred million was a, a lot mm. of money to yeah. pay for Jack Grealish by any measure, um, and it would be difficult. It would be difficult if they came after Saka with the same degree of commitment. Mm. Um, We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Like you say, what we achieve between now and the end of the season could be instrumental in, in persuading him that his future, for now at least, remains at the Emirates Stadium. Mm. Um, 
Okay, what about this? Uh, there have been a, some number of penalty shootouts this weekend in the AFCON final and Manchester United somewhat enjoyably mm-hmm. going out uh, to Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. Um, cartoon Steve Bold at Cartoon Boldy says, who are your all-time top five Arsenal penalty takers and the order you'd have them take oh, them in? the order? Yeah. Oh... This is a good one. Uh, yeah, I'd go Van Persie number one. I, you know, Salah didn't take in the final for Afcon because he was number five, and I just think that's ludicrous. Yeah, I agree. Like, I agree. You got to get a couple of your good takers out really early doors, and I, I would start with Van Persie. I think he was a superb penalty taker, no question. Um, he would definitely be in my top five. Um. Ian Wright? Yeah. I'd have Wright, I'd have Thierry Henry. Uh, Lauren? Lauren's my fifth, I think. Lauren's your roll it down the middle. Yeah. Exactly. Nerves of steel. And I know, like, the sample size is very small, but, like, in terms of just sheer enjoyment from penalties, Maitland-Niles penalty kicks during his time at Arsenal have been superb the cool yeah but I you know I remember watching the um, the penalty shootout with Manchester United recently in the the 2005 FA Cup yeah Ashley Cole took a very good penalty yeah Freddie Umberg took a very good penalty Van Persie takes a great penalty um yeah, Van Persie, Wright, Henri, Lauren, Dixon. Could, Could go it? Dixon. Scored a good for you. Uh, I would go Van Persie. Yeah, Van Persie. I think my order would be Van Persie. I think I'd then go Henri, then Wright. Lauren, fifth for me. Fourth. Who do I fancy? Mm. I might go Lacazette, you know. I might go Lacazette. How many has he taken for Arsenal? He has scored quite a few. Not like, he's taken a few, but his, his record across his career is very good. I mean, he was, you know, infamous for scoring lots of penalties at Lyon, um, inflating his, his goal stats substantially. Uh, I think he's pretty good in those situations. So maybe him, but Maitland-Niles is a shout. Lee Dixon is a shout. Um, Ashley Cole was very good. He took penalties for England as well in shootouts, mm. Ashley Cole, and scored in pressurised scenarios. Penalty goals. I'm looking up Lacazette here. Um, 32 scored, six missed. Only one missed for Arsenal. Hmm. I'm going to stick with him, but yeah, there's a few names. Would you go Maitland-Niles just for the sort of yeah the fun factor? Yeah, why not? Why not? It's penalty shootout. The others have scored. We know they've scored because they're great, and you know it's the it's the Champions uh, Champions League final against I don't know Man City, somebody like that. <laughs> That'd be amazing. And up strolls Maitland-Niles. Did you see the Bill Murray golf shot this weekend? think he was playing in some kind of pro-am no and he rolled a putt past the hole 
walked past it, stood there, looked in the air, and hit it back about five feet with the back of his putter straight into the hole. Cool as you like. Maitland-Niles can score the penalty equivalent of that putt, I think. Don't know how he would do it. (laughs) He would stroll up, goalkeeper, wait for the goalkeeper to commit, then lie down on his side like it's a beautiful sunny day, and he just knock it into the back of the net, roll it in. The bird catcher. Yeah, sure, exactly. All right, look, we will leave it there, I think, for this particular episode. That silence was beautiful, wasn't it, when that guy stopped? Oh, it was worth doing the podcast just for that silence. Oh, did you ever, like, you're in the kitchen or something like that, and the radio's on, and there's a song on, and it's just, oh, whatever it is, it's the wrong song. And you turn the radio off, and that, that two seconds of silence is just... The most beautiful thing in the world. Um, so, yeah, apologies for the uh, background noise on that one, folks. Not much we could do about it. Um, but as ever, thank you very much indeed for being here. We do have football this week, so we'll be doing a, a preview podcast over on Patreon. Join us for that. And we'll have a podcast on Friday morning as well. Won't be with James because you will be in Ireland. I'll be in you Ireland, know, to be sure. There's more to Ireland than this. Well, I'll find out. You will. Back. You will. Please do. We'll talk to you next week. Um, as ever, thanks a million for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.